name is Monique. It is wonderful to kind of see your faces. Oh, there we go. Um, if I haven't met you already, then uh, I would love to get to know you after the gathering. Um, we were talking about surrender um, just before, and it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of this um, this moment a couple of years back where I I had to really surrender. I had to kind of let go of my, my sense of self, my, my thoughts about what I could and couldn't do. See, a couple of years back, I, I participated in uh, what some may call the single most terrifying and gut-wrenching of entertainment ideas that anyone's ever come up with. I went bungee jumping. <laughs> Has anyone gone bungee jumping? Is anyone never intending to go bungee jumping? Wisdom. Wisdom right here. Everybody take note. No, seriously, I didn't want to go bungee jumping. This was not on the bucket list. This was definitely, definitely not an experience that I ever wanted to, to have in my life. Um, uh, but I, I, was in, I was down south. I'd just moved to Dunedin, and I'd made a couple of friends. And, and they said, oh, they're going to Queenstown. Um, they're going to go bungee jumping. Do I want to come and hang out while they do that? And I said, well, of course. I'm in Queenstown, right? Um, and, uh, and so I went. And one thing that my mother um, used to say when I was young was this whole thing of, like, you know, if you're... If your friends ever jumped off a bridge, would you? Yes, mother, I would. <laughs> this is the daughter you've raised. <laughs> uh, it was, oh, my word. Okay, anyway, so it was an experience and a half to say the least. I'm standing there at the edge of the bridge and I'm shaking because I'm not super great with heights. And, and the guy said, I don't know if you know this, but he said I needed to dive into that gigantic great canyon that I saw below me. Because apparently if you, if you don't dive, your feet are tied at your ankles. And so if you go down feet first, well, when the rope stops, you don't. You get whiplash. Um, and I wanted to avoid that. Okay, so I said, all right, all right, I'll, I'll try my best to dive. Um, and he's starting to count down as well. So now there's not only peer pressure from my friends watching, but there's also peer pressure from this random stranger who's counting at me. And I've always been the kind of daughter that never let my mother get to one. Um, so I was like, okay, all right, here we go, here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. And I, I, I jump. Good form, by the way. I jump. I was very proud of that. Um, and as I jump, this sound comes out of me. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you've ever thought about what kind of sound you want to have come out of you as you plummet from a bridge to your death, maybe. Um, but I considered, you know, maybe, maybe something theorized like, uh, like a dignified silence, you know, classy lady and all of that. Or could also go the other path and you could go, maybe I'll do a, a fun yell. Yeah! You know, as you go down and people smile and chuckle, she's having a good time. Um, lowest on the list, of course, would be a blood-curdling shriek, right? Because that's just embarrassing. So I jump. And there's absolute terror that just shoots through my brain. Because firstly, I, 
Who thought of this idea? Tie a rope around your ankles onto a bridge? What kind of sketch idea is that? And so I'm, I'm jumping, and there's just pure terror in my brain. And as I go down, every self-preservation instinct in me is going, this is a bad idea, and I feel like I am going to die. And as I jump, out of me comes this guttural groan. <laughs> I would have preferred the blood-curdling shriek. But out came this... <laughs> Please a blood curling shriek next time because oh that was so anyway so and I heard the guys laughing I wasn't really aware of it as I jumped but I heard them laughing as I was I was I was um you know groaning my way down <laughs> to the bottom of the canyon um Anyways, so, uh, and, and side note, that was actually a really fun time. <laughs> the adrenaline rush gets you, um, and I would highly recommend doing that. <laughs> yeah, just so, maybe try the dignified silence next time. Um, but anyway, so I, I, uh, I jumped, I did the thing, and, and I... But the thing that stuck with me was, oh my word, what, what kind of maniac comes up with this idea? Tie your legs together with a piece of rope and then just jump. And yes, maybe it's a bungee cord and, you know, there's like some kind of science involved. But at the end of the day, you're still tying yourself. You're staking your life to a rope cord and a bridge. It's not something that I want to do on the daily. And yet, for some reason, we as human beings have been doing this. For millennia. And I'm not talking about, you know, like Noah bungee jumping off the ark or whatever. Um, don't get those kind of pictures in your head. No, no, no. We've been staking our lives to sketchy things. We've been staking our lives to, to much more fragile things than just a, a cord and a bridge. No, we've been, we've been centering our lives and... and um, basing our, our behaviors and our sense of self around what Jaden referred to as, as the, the natural, the things that we can see, the things that are visible, the things that the world tells us are important. We've been placing our lives on, on, um, on bungee cords to, to work, to family, to, to kids, to money, to fame, to, to entertainment, to achievements, we've been, we've been anchoring ourselves and attaching ourselves to the things that we can see and the things that are visible because it gives us some sort of safety, right? It's human nature. It's, what we, it's actually what we, we prioritize and rearrange our lives around a lot of the time. Now, look, okay, prioritizing your kids, good thing if you're a parent. Prioritizing your work when you need to pay bills, good thing. But what is it that you... you base your entire life around, you form your world around. Because that's what worship is. Worship is what you give your attention to. Worship is, is what we, we place all our wants and desires upon. Worship is what we lift up, what we glorify. And so often we, we actually slip into, again, human nature, we slip into this desire to worship what we see, to stake our lives, to anchor ourselves to the things that, that are of the natural, the things that, that um, we feel can give us fulfillment. But the issue with that is that they're unsteady foundations. 
They're more rickety than the bridge that I jumped off. They're, uh, I, I mean, people change. Money ebbs and flows. Your spouse isn't as perfect as you thought they were. Your kids definitely aren't. Your work, you may lose your work. You may lose your material possessions in a flood like we found um, with the, in the last month. And so, so we've, we tend to anchor ourselves to the things that, that are visible and the things that we can see. We tend to anchor and attach and rearrange our lives around things because that's also part of the way that we're designed is we're designed to worship and we're designed to lift things up and we're designed to adore and, and, um, and, and make sure that the wants and desires are, are provided for. But one of the things that society has told us now, it's a, it's a new form of, of idol, some may say. An idol is just something that you, you worship, that you put on a pedestal, that you, again, rearrange your life around anything that isn't of God. And society has now told you that, hear me out, you can anchor your life to yourself. Society has said now that, that actually you can be your own form of truth. That truth is subjective and, and that you can determine it. But that's about as, that makes about as much sense as somebody tying their feet together with a bungee cord and jumping off the bridge but holding the other end of it in their own hand. Truth is supposed to be connected to something outside of you. Something bigger than you, something that is that you can be a bigger part of, um, and and but we're told, you know, you are the only person that that can love you the way that you need to be loved, and you're the only person that um, can prioritize you. So you should prioritize yourself above everybody else. And they've labeled it self care, and there's some aspects of self care that are actually really good, but but the problem comes when we make that our sole focus, when we make ourselves our soul focus. I mean, our newsfeed is catered to us. Food, Uber Eats, drop of a button. (laughs) New gadget or clothes delivered to your doorstep. The world can be built to serve you. And, And Martin Luther, he's a Protestant from back in the day, this guy said that whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, whatever you've anchored yourself to, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. So this idea that I am my own truth or I spend most of my attention on myself, which I can be really guilty of. Sometimes you can find out what your idol is, what, what it is that you worship, what it is that's your anchor point you re- rearrange your life around, but what you spend the most attention on, what you spend the most time worrying about or thinking about or, or prioritizing. Sometimes I can prioritize my sleep over my quiet time. What does that say about what I'm maybe worshiping, maybe placing, maybe rearranging my life around? If I'm rearranging my life around how much sleep I get at night, but not how much time I spend with God. Wow. Um, and there's this, there's this prank that my dad told me about the other day where these... <laughs> These guys, they, they all went um, bungee jumping, and, and one of the guys jumped off the bridge. And as he jumped, they, they threw the end of the rope with him and yelled, wait, <laughs> which is so evil. <laughs> it's the sheer terror of this guy. He was attached to the bridge. 
Uh, but again, it's it's the same. It's this idea that that if you if you make yourself the center of your world, it's like you're attaching a bungee cord to your ankles and then holding the other end of that and jumping off a bridge, hoping that you'll survive. Or or you're in a boat and you anchor the boat to the boat itself. Well, you might be fine when when the 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 um, wind and waves are calm and when it's nice and sunny out, but as soon as the storm starts coming, what happens? You start floating away. And this is not just relegated to non-Christians, this idea of anchoring ourselves to ourselves. Second Timothy 3 verse 1 to 2 says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in those last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, dot, 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 uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. People will be lovers of themselves, having a form of godliness. Now, now Paul wasn't writing to Timothy about, about... everyone else out in the world. No, he was, he was writing to Timothy in that letter about the church and about how to raise up the church and, and equip them and everything. And he was talking about there will be people in the church who will be lovers of self, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, denying the power of God in our lives because they've, they've rearranged their lives around, and around how the church can serve them. I was super challenged when I went to Dunedin and I was trying to choose between, you know, there's a a bunch of wonderful churches there. And I was like, God, which church should I go to? They're all so amazing. And God was like, "Um, it's not about what the church can do for you. It's what you can do for the church. Because church is is a family. That's why we've changed it from service to gathering, Sunday gathering, because people seem to get into this mindset that we come to church to be served, to receive, to have um, uh, the other people who are serving in the church serve us. And there might be a time and a season where you need people to stand alongside you, but most and, first and foremost, we gather together like a family. And as a family, we do dishes. <laughs> Somebody takes care of kids. <laughs> Somebody hosts. Somebody lays the table. We gather together to serve one another and to serve God. That's the purpose of church. You're not here to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. Isn't that a challenge if we want to be in the image of of Christ? How that might affect the way that we view serving in church. How, we, uh, how that might affect the way that we view... Say, for example, I, um, I'm out in kids quite a bit. And, and one of the things that comes across, and I will not name names, one of the things that happens quite often is parents come. Again, they, they love their kids. They want the best for their kids. But they come in and we're low on leaders. Um, because for some reason, kids seems to be a place where parents want to drop their kids off um, and then go. And, and so the leaders might come in sometimes and be like, well, the program wasn't um, enough for my kid, or um, this didn't happen, or this kid wasn't looked after. And we're like, look, we, we only have so many people. We can only do so much. How about you join? How about you help out? How about you give it a go? Come join the family. 
If this is our family, then we should be acting like it, right? We should be contributing and serving one another. And anyways, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> lovers of self. Now, hold up. Before I finish this this thought, um, we talk about lovers of self. And loving yourself is, is a healthy thing. The Bible talks about love your neighbor as yourself. It's implicit. But... Um, what can happen, and the key distinction here is you don't want to be a lover of self in the, in the way that the love of self supersedes your love of God. That the love of self and the desire to have my desires met and my wants and my needs met overrides my desire to see God's kingdom come and His will be done. So love of God should always override the love of self. And, okay, here, here's another thing. Then sometimes people go, oh, but I, I don't actually love myself. I don't think that I'm worthy of love. And that's a really hard place to be in. And I empathize because I, I still struggle with that now, even, to be honest. Um, sometimes I just find myself in this, thinking these thoughts, and, um, and I really struggled with it when I was in high school, not feeling like I, I was worthy of unconditional love, the, the one that God talks about in his word. And then God pulled me aside and, and gave me this thought that if I'm saying, God, I know you say that I'm worthy of love, but I say I'm not worthy of love, then my opinion of myself, I'm placing higher than his opinion of me. I'm making myself the final authority on this. And in that way, I'm, I'm making myself my source of truth. And if you're really honest, you're not the best God to worship. I mean, we're perfect. We're imperfect. We're imperfect. Um, and, and a truth based on an imperfect human's incomplete understanding of the world is a shaky foundation. No wonder we've got a mental health epidemic because we're telling kids to anchor themselves to themselves and then tell them to jump. No wonder people are, are wrestling with and, and feeling so much pressure and anxiety because where do you anchor yourself to? Who is my anchor? Who is the thing outside of myself, bigger than myself, that I can hold on to, that's firm in the storms and, and firm when it all shakes around me and when, firm when everything else, when my job crumbles, when my family crumbles, when my mental health crumbles, when who I think I am crumbles. What is the truth that I hold on to, that I anchor myself to? And, and, and sometimes we, we go to church and we go, oh, you know, I... Maybe, maybe I'll get it at church. Which, you will, in a sense. But you won't, get, you won't get your fulfillment from the actual church itself. You get your fulfillment from God. Sometimes people come to church and they go, well, that, the pastor didn't preach the message that I wanted. It didn't hit me. It didn't fill me. It didn't pour into me. I didn't, I didn't feel something from it. But can I tell you that your relationship with God should never be dependent on how well your pastor preaches. So keep that in mind. (laughs) Look, Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image. And and the the word image is salem in Hebrew. It means idol or statue, which is really interesting. 
is we tend to make ourselves an idol. Um, but what God is really talking about is that we are uh, an idol in, in the terms of we are an image, a, a visible image, reflecting an invisible being. We are a visible representation of an invisible God. We are God's statues, the world's view of him, here to make visible the invisible. We are representatives and ambassadors. But sometimes when we, when we make ourselves the idol, it's like we've clouded our vision of what God is doing and who God is and what his kingdom is here for. And instead, instead of seeing the kingdom, now we're just seeing ourselves and we're looking in a mirror and that's not going to get us anywhere. Our value is kingdom focused, but sometimes we can't even see the kingdom for ourselves. We've turned ourselves into an image of worship rather than an image of the one whom we should worship. So how, how, do you, how do you go around that? How do, you, how do you work yourself around this idea? How do you bring heaven to earth? How do you bring the image of God to the world around you? And how do I, how do I let go? How do I detach this anchor that I've placed on myself and reattach it to God? Well, Jesus talks about this in, in Luke 9, verse 23 to 25. And if you guys want to go to your Bibles on this one, then, then go ahead. We're going to sit on this for just a little while. Um, But Luke 9, verse 23 to 25, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, let let yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. See that? Uh, and if you're, if you're like a one, two, three kind of point person, this is my first point. <laughs> deny yourself. And that verb deny, the Greek, Greek verb for deny, is aparneomai. That's how you say it, apparently. It can mean to like deny the truth of a statement, but most commonly it's used in, in um, disowning or dissociating from a person. In other, way, in other words, the way that we can interpret it most commonly is um, to disown yourself or renounce yourself. Renounce allegiance. Let go of allegiance to yourself as the primary source who is your primary allegiance to? Is it self or is it God? And you can figure this out really quickly when you're faced with a decision between, say, like, do I, do I follow God, what God is telling me to do in this moment? Or do I take the easy way out and do what's comfortable for me? Like, if God says, hey, I want you to speak to that person and share the gospel to them, and you go, but that's awkward. Who, who, who is my primary allegiance to? Or if I go, hey, God... You know, I know you say that, that I need to be obedient to you and to your word. And, and you know, I need to respect my parents. But uh, I don't feel like they're worthy of respect. So I'm just going to say whatever it is that I want to say. Who's my primary allegiance to? If God tells you to go to Zambia. And you're like, oh, that's quite far. <laughs> Sounds super expensive. Who's your primary allegiance to? So self-denial, denying yourself, it's not, it's not necessarily disown, uh, uh, 
It's not necessarily losing yourself as in losing your personality. God's created you as an incredible, individual, unique human being. But it's letting go of your primary allegiance to yourself. You're part of the kingdom after all. And then, and then uh, oh, and also in um, Galatians 2.20 it says, uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. So he takes it one step further. He goes, it's not actually my old self that I hold on to anymore. It's not actually my old ways of doing things, my old ways, my old desires, my old wants and my needs, but I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am an image of God. I'm an image of the one who is worthy of worship. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I think that's, that's so core. I want you guys to hold on to that for a second. The one who loved me. The one who loves you so desperately, so wants to be in relationship with you, that he died. He let it all go for you. He took on your sins, your burdens, your shame. He took on the things that that you wrestle with, the worries that you carry, the areas where you slipped up, the spaces where you think you are too broken to even be wanted. And God said, I want that. I love that. And Christ humbled himself, became he became a servant. In order to serve us, God's love on a, on a silver platter. 